0: Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacy Jones.
1: Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today. I want to give a very warm welcome to Andy Cresidina. Andy is the co-founder and chief marketing officer of Orbit Media, an award-winning digital agency in Chicago. Over the past 20 years, Andy has provided digital marketing advice to over a thousand businesses and spoken at many of the top national marketing conferences around the globe, including Content Marketing World and Marketing Profs B2B Forum. He's a frequent contributor of a number of highly recognized marketing blogs, having written over 500 articles on topics such as search engine optimization, analytics, and visitor psychology. He's also the author of Content Chemistry, the Illustrated Handbook for Content Marketing. Today, Andy and I are going to be chatting about all things digital marketing and web design. We'll learn what works from his perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses and people just miss the mark. Andy, welcome. So happy to have you here
0: today. Thanks for having me, Stacey. I'm excited.
1: But what I would love to do is start off by diving into what got you here today? What progressed your career where you ended up as a founder of an agency?
0: Okay, late 90s, IT recruiter. Great time to be an IT recruiter right? Tech bubbles, getting bigger, Y2K, like lots of demand for lots of programmers. Mm, boring, very bored because I didn't get to make anything. I, it wasn't creative. You can't really point at something and say, I did that as a recruiter. Um, so I had like a personal projects I was doing at night with a friend, actually my roommate from college and my friend from high school. And he and I were doing like interactive comic books and CD-ROM stuff. And this was in the era of Flash. This is like late nineties. I'm obviously Gen X.
1: You were totally geeking out at night.
0: It was fun. It was really yeah. fun. Interactive yeah. comics, like super fun. Uh, yeah. and, and in fact, we incorporated as Orbit Media Studios at that time. It bombed. <laughs> not, not, a good, yeah, not a good business model. Uh, no problem at all because uh, we just, well, he was already doing websites, but I just began to apply some of those things that I'd learned on the digital production side uh, and started building websites with him. And April of 2001 formed as Orbit Media. It's one of those two-person web design companies. Like there are so many, still so many of today. And then just kept going, Stacy. never pivoted, added uh, team members, kept taking off hats, kept delegating, kept growing, got got good at marketing, got good at lead generation, got good at um, uh, servicing clients and setting expectations and quoting and delivering uh, without overpromising. And so today, this is it. There's 48 of us. We still are web design and development company, still totally focused on that one deliverable and um, we love it.
1: 48 is an interesting number to have because it's very different than like the early business starters. It's very different than having a business with people in the teens mm-hmm. up to like mid twenties. I think mm-hmm. that's the breaking point of the 25 to 50. It's like a whole new
0: beast of what you have. It is when you get to a certain level, you're grateful because you have backup plans and you have like alternates for anyone. So if, if someone moves on and resigns, you're not, you're not, you don't get smushed, uh, Screwed but, is what you were about to say. You I, were going yeah, to say was, screwed. Is that agency a owners show? were yeah. like, oh, <laughs> right. I'm screwed. It would have been, yes. yeah, it gets painful. <laughs> so you always tell yourself that, oh, the next plateau will be more comfortable, more secure, better, you know, um, more sustainable. But also as you grow that you need layers of management. And then you need managers for the managers. And you, you get to a point where like, okay, I need an executive. And so we have a full-time CEO. Uh, I think past this, it gets risky because that, or it just sounds different. But I mean, you need full-time HR when you go like past 50 people, they say. So probably we'll stay at this level. We're pretty deliberate about growth and uh, I think we're pretty happy where we are.
1: That's great. I'm surprised you don't have almost a full-time HR person already.
0: I know. If anyone out there listening who has uh, some tips for me, I'm all ears.
1: Yeah, we're about to implement bamboo HR at our agency to see how that helps us, Mm. whether it's good or not. I'll be reporting back on that. Let me know. Mm-hmm, I will. So you do all things digital marketing with a very big focus on a website design. And that's been like your specialty, your niche, you know, in your sleep, you can design unbelievable websites at this point, I am sure. What are some of the first things that you do when working with a new client to dial in on what they
0: need? Two key inputs for web design are lots of interviews with the end users of the websites and potential prospects, uh, top sales reps, uh, important stakeholders uh, to understand what are the information needs of these visitors? What do people need to know before they'll buy, before they'll become a lead? Um, What what objections need to be addressed? What are our strongest proof points to support the assertions we're making? So our websites aren't just big piles of unsupported marketing claims. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other input is to audit the current site to see if it's performing for something already. Uh, we build sites for mid-market companies, some of which have uh, high rankings and you know good keyword performance. So a site that fails to preserve the organic traffic from search uh, just has instant negative ROI. And in some cases, the brand would have been better without redesigning their website. Mm-hmm. Websites that fail to do good I call it data-driven empathy and research and interviews with, with um, potential prospects uh, tend not to have high conversion rates. They don't turn visitors into leads. And so those sites fail because they have, um, you know, th- there's an information gap and they don't really build confidence and trust and clarity with the visitor. Mm-hmm. So those are the two most important starting points for web design, uh, stakeholder interviews um, and uh, keyword research.
1: And I bet on the first one, you get a lot of resistance where people are like, no, 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 I know what I want. Just build me something
0: pretty. That's, and amazingly, when you think about, you know why do people decide they need a new website? I've actually done research on this. It's like, oh, our messaging changed or, oh, our site looks out of date. Nobody does new, nobody redesign, or rare for someone to redesign their website because they say, oh, our current site has a low conversion rate because it fails to answer visitors' Mm -hmm. top sales questions. (laughs) Nobody thinks that way. It's like, it's all about curb appeal and design and beauty, but that's not why your visitors are coming to your website.
1: They're not thinking about their website as actually being part of their marketing funnel. They're thinking about it just being a landing page that people will be at and, oh, they'll love us so much. And they're going Mm -hmm. to love whatever case study we have there or blurb that we have that they're going to call us and become a client instantly.
0: Yeah. Or they rebrand and they say, oh, we've got a cool new tagline. Even though it's a tagline that nobody really understands what it means, like a visitor wouldn't look at that and say, oh, I have perfect clarity on what services you offer. Uh, And they just decide like, oh, time to refresh that. I'm going to update the site. We need to change these, you know, the the copy. And the copy they want to change it to is really like marketing speak. That isn't super meaningful to the visitor.
1: Right. And so they're not actually addressing the pain points of the visitor. All they're doing is addressing how they want to show up.
0: And, And exactly right. And the irony is that as all of us use websites, right? as that potential client or whoever, that website owner uses other websites, they judge those websites based on the information, based on the content. Nobody goes to a website to see how beautiful it is. They go to a website to get an answer to a question uh, to try to better understand if that company is going to be a potential solution to their problems. Funny, I use that word. Uh, I've never seen it in keyword research. The only people who use the word "solutions," in my experience, are people who sell stuff, uh, people who want <laughs> here's a common mistake: people put a make, make a big navigation item that says like "solutions," when in fact, like that's not a term the visitor themselves would ever use. Uh, very rare for us to use the word "solutions" uh, unless we're selling something.
1: Mm-hmm. So, what do you do, and how do you? get over people, how to get people over themselves and willing to actually do these deep dives that they don't necessarily see as essential. And they're like, oh, there's a dime a dozen website designers Mm -hmm. out there. I can go to Fiverr and get someone if, you know, what's this hokey that he's telling us?
0: Yeah, I mean, if for those people, I would encourage them to just go to Five from Get a Website because I'm not going to be able to, you know, it, it, go for it. That's not really what the game is about. But you know, if your goal is to simply have a new website, you can get a new website for very low cost, almost free, right? Even free, literally free. Yeah. Uh, so you know, people who say like, "Oh, I can't believe a website would cost very much money." I, I I can build a website right now with one hand while drinking a beer. I have built a website with one hand while drinking a beer. It wasn't a a website anyone will ever visit or you know, has much reason to exist. But so what is the magic that causes websites to win in those two regards, cheese and mousetrap, as in they attract visitors and they convince visitors to take action. That is, the game is really about how the design and the content marry each other, how they work together to create a visual hierarchy that guides the visitor's eyes through a series of prioritized messages during which they get their questions answered and they see evidence to support those answers. That's visitor psychology. That's why we all take action and convert or don't on any website is whether or not it ranked for the phrase we searched for. And when the person was there, they got trust and excitement and they got, they got comfortable and clear on what this company does just enough so that they click that little you know, visually compelling, super specific call to action and fill out the contact form. That is a bit of magic. And to do it well takes six experts, 400 hours of work. I'm not even kidding. Like it's, yeah. it's not a simple thing.
1: And then how does all of this figure in? Because there's a big difference between developing a website for a general consumer push versus a B2B push.
0: Mm. Well, B2B offers or tend to be more high consideration. So the visitor needs more information. There might be more than one decision maker. It might be taking several weeks or months to decide who to hire, sometimes longer. Web design is one of those things. It's a high consideration decision. Mm-hmm. So that's a consultative kind of sales process. There it's more important to put answers to sales questions onto web pages. Mm-hmm. And it's the kind of stuff where uh, y- trust is ever more important. A more B2C thing it tends to be more transactional where the person just kind of has to see enough. You know, They're acting more quickly. They're not, do- they're not as afraid of making a mistake. That's a big, big thing. you have to do on web copy is to uh, overcome the person's fears. Why wouldn't this company hire us? Mm-hmm. You're not ready to write a website, and it's not. And we should probably use that term instead of design. You're not ready to write a website until you know why someone wouldn't hire you. And if you haven't addressed that, good luck. Your look, your conversion rates from visitor into lead will likely be low. Yeah. So if it's a, if it's a transactional thing, it's low considerations. See some reviews. Add to cart you're good. If it's a consultative thing, high consideration, long sales cycle, multiple decision makers, then you need to really go deeper into things like case studies, testimonials, thought leadership content, original research, carefully manage a visual hierarchy, you know, maybe some lead magnets, try to get the person to stay in the middle of your funnel for longer. It's a very different, much longer game, way more fun, way more fun, I think.
1: What are some of the mistakes that happen
0: along the way? Well, a lot of people have uh, website, navigation labels that sound like this, um, products or services, solutions, blog about contact. Why would you do that?
1: Dear God, it sounds like my website.
0: (laughs) It sounds like (laughs) millions of websites, right? Yes. It sounds like millions of websites. So why wouldn't you, so try to answer this question. Why not be specific? Why not be descriptive in our navigation labels? Why not tell the search engine and the visitor what this company does in a split second glance? No, just do that, just do that, just that that's, that's an easy one.
1: So if we wanna dive in a little to that, like you're saying, you know, about, blog, you know, what are other words that are better to use?
0: Well, a bottom blogger and contact are probably gonna be there, right? Okay. And that's fine, and those set expectations properly. The job of the of the navigation label is to, is to help the visitor accurately predict what they'll get if they click. Mm-hmm. So if you have one that just says solutions, that's a long word and a vague word. It doesn't accurately let the visitor you know predict what they get. So mm-hmm. if it says web design services, if it says podcast production services, if it says you know video editing, if it says the name of the service itself, whatever it is that you're offering, right? Digital marketing, paid, whatever, social, and whatever it is then the visitor can scan and at a glance, they can see that they're in the right place. Basically every visitor to every web page is asking themselves, am I in the right place? Mm -hmm. So specificity correlates with click-through rates. Specificity correlates with conversion. So every time you use a a vague navigation label, you're not being as helpful as if you use a specific navigation label instead of a word like services or products or solutions. Same goes for the header, by the way, the H1 tag, the header at the top of the homepage, Mm If it doesn't, if a visitor can't tell what you do after reading that, then you just failed the backyard barbecue test. Stacy, if I met you at a backyard barbecue and I say, "What do you do?" and you say, "Oh, I, you know, I, I have the agility to plan for all futures," You're like, what? What I the not, heck read, yeah.
1: are you talking about?
0: What do you do? I, I, I humanize technology for the what? Like, I'm confused. So try to pass the backyard barbecue test uh, next time someone asks you what you do. Read your homepage headline and see if they give you a weird look.
1: <laughs> so is how you test for clients?
0: Well, it's, I mean, that's all, that's the only test. I mean, now you know the whole test. So yeah. if we just look at it at a glance, you can tell instantly, you it's just also called a lot the of, five, yeah. You get
1: a lot of backyard barbecues and just like say random things.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I would need a lot of barbecue if I did. It's actually a thing, it's called the five second test. If you upload a screenshot of your homepage to usabilityhub.com and then answer the question, what does this company do? you can see at a glance, like people will, you can tell right away. So there it's called the five second test. It's sometimes called the 10 foot test and back 10 feet from your screen. Can you tell what this company does? Used to be called once the user is drunk test. If I had, you know, four drinks and I looked at your header, you know, could I tell what you do? Um, There's different names for it, but basically the idea is to communicate quickly, clearly, accurately so that uh, the visitor knows that they're in the right spot and you can move on to the next question.
1: And since I even just grabbed my phone to write this down, can you repeat that for anyone who might've missed, what is the website you're suggesting everyone go to?
0: Usabilityhub.com is a way to create almost near instant panels of focus groups of people who are admittedly not in your target audience, but they can, you can check things such as, can a visitor to this website tell what we do? So take a screenshot of anything, mm-hmm. right? Take a screenshot of your social media, bio, whatever, anything, and just upload it to Usability Hub. You can choose like 20 people or 50 people and then mm-hmm. just type in one question to go with it. And six minutes later, you're going to get 20 answers of people guessing what you do because your site was so vague. The navigation labels in the homepage header did not, even, did not give the visitor any idea for what you do as a company.
1: That's awesome. That's very cool testing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little market research in your back pocket of your computer screen.
0: Super simple, really Mm -hmm. cheap and fast. I think it's like 50 bucks. Okay.
1: What else? What are other things people do wrong? Uh,
0: A lot of people fail to put themselves on their website. They don't like the Mm -hmm. way they look. They don't like their picture. They don't want to be. People, little companies often try to look big. Big companies often try to look small. Weird, right? is that yeah. a, is, is it just me that's why do why do why do big companies want to look little and little companies want to look big they want to
1: you, appeal they want to like be embraced they want to not look like the corporate non non-hearted giant that they might actually be
0: you i like how you said that because that's sort of the point is to look is to not look like you you're heartless <laughs> so mm-hmm. look human every brand should just try to look more human okay. try to look more personal So I have access to 500 plus Google Analytics accounts. I'm in them all the time. I've been in three accounts today and I can see people's top pages, right? What do do visitors tend to go to? The About Us page is one of the most popular pages on almost every website. Why does someone go there? Because they wanna see who you are. The team page, if you have a team page, often one of the top pages. So take the hint and put yourselves all over your website. Mm -hmm. Put your face, put your name, put a quote from yourself on different pages. Better yet, put a quote from a client as a testimonial, try not to build pages without evidence of some sort. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, there's people who just think they don't like the way they look, or they don't think that their photography is like A plus, when really Mm -hmm. the goal is to just look legit, just be human, just be yourself. Um, So that's a really common mistake is people that build sites that just look like a bomb went off and all the people are gone. It's super weird.
1: So, more so, actually pull back the curtains a little bit of your company and show the human behind the scenes who's actually either doing the work and the services or building the product.
0: That's right. the, the who, who are these people? Very common question. That's why people, what is the intent of the visitor who clicks on about? Think about them. What, are they, what do you want when you click on about? And faces and people. I mean, Facebook. One of the most popular, I don't, I don't use it. I think it's a creepy website, but I mean meta. What, what the, yeah, <laughs> meta. one of the most popular platforms on the internet. Guess what? The word face is in the name. That's how powerful faces are. Like, wow. don't leave that out.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, we do influencer marketing at our agency at Hollywood Branded, and we're always, the brands are always like, we want to have an organic connection. You know, we want it to be authentic. Mm-hmm. All the things that, you know, we want. But what you're saying, you need that also to have that organic, authentic, real humanizing connection of the real being the keyword here on your website too.
0: They're trying to feel a connection. That's why they clicked on about. They want, if your about sounds boring, expected, vague, you know, show some weakness, show, show, be vulnerable. Maybe like talk about like, it's like you asked me about myself, I told you about a failure right away. Right. I told you about a risk I took right away. Go rewind to those, that that first part of that conversation. Like that's just, that's really what you wanted, right? Is to know the truth about what this is. You know, who is this person? What do they believe? Where are they coming from? What's the origin? So yeah, I think um, and knowing that that's so powerful I wouldn't wait until the visitor clicks on about. Elevate our designers say surface, push that face up push the characters of this, of this story up out of the about page onto some other pages, right? Like um, are there any faces of anyone who actually works at your company on your homepage? If not, missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. What about your top service pages. If not, it's a missed opportunity. So uh, that's, that's keeping it real. Cost nothing, makes a big difference.
1: Right. How do companies deal with, if they have different personalities on their uh, home pages, on their website, keeping up with the fact that employees turn over, right? And I think that's a big fear with a lot of companies, especially those that are a little bit more entrepreneurial. Um, and smaller, mid, small and mid-sized—not your corporate, heartless companies. We're talking about—they have lots of people to pull from. But how do you make sure that you know? Are you are you constantly refreshing it? I mean, hopefully your employees aren't going out the door all the time at a rapid, fast speed. But that's something you have to plan for, right?
0: Sure. I think um, the photography is one of the one of the places where that gets you because if you take a group photo with six people and put that at the top of your about page. And then someone leaves and you're kind of like, well, it's still kind of okay. Mm -hmm. And then another person leaves and it's then, and then you hire a new star performer. And pretty soon it's like, well, four of the six are, are here. And one of the person, you know, so just avoid the big group shot. First of all, um, if you, uh, use a very simple background for photos, then it's much easier to do color matching. Uh, when you, as you take new photos, uh, you could do something, uh, simple, like just drop out all the color and go duotone or black and white. Uh, And then it's very easy to add photos and scale up and down the the about pages of the team bio pages. Um, And similarly, I mean, if you've got the budget, maybe you could do something interesting with like an illustrative style. Um, We had a client that was um, financial services, Mm -hmm. and we recommended that they use a Wall Street Journal style headcut looking engraving for each of their investment professionals Kind of like you see in the Wall Street Journal, or like you see on Money. Yeah, they loved it. They went all out. They got an artist, and everyone that joined that company forever after got their own head cut, and it looked awesome. Uh, they put it on their on their emails. They put it on um, their social bio, their social yeah. profiles. So, uh, but basically, yeah, just be ready for it. Um, and if you're, if, you know, if you've got people walking out the door every other week, you've got bigger problems anyway. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah.
1: Well, I like the edge pad idea. That's very cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. the like wood. It's like an engraving, right? You know, the style, Yeah. you know, if it's brand, if it's brand aligned um, and you've got the budget, maybe make it awesome because it after all is one of the most viewed things that that you'll have on your website.
1: And you can also always take this over because everyone wants to into your social media universe where you can share this over and over again on other platforms too.
0: People love that and your team will be excited to have their own, you know, little illustration made for their. But yeah, I think that's a, that's a big benefit. Also, if you're, if you want a little boost on social, uh, if you like Facebook and LinkedIn are both blue so any warm colors that you use there, mm-hmm. like if you drop out the color of your, if you drop out your background of your photo and replace it with a warm colored background like orange or, or um, yellow or red, uh, it will pop it will stand out against all the other social profiles in in the stream. So if you look at my LinkedIn bio, you can see I've got like an orange background behind my head, which makes me much, again, visual hierarchy, right? This is how the human eye works. This is biology and the chemistry of the brain. So uh, you can make yourself more visually prominent within social streams by choosing a warm color background and makes it easier to color match if you have turnover at your company on your team pages.
1: And for everyone listening right now, if you just said, ah, now you get it, this is why you don't go to Fiverr for a website. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, you know what though? In defense, I have no idea. I've never tried, but in defense of those like Uber, like ultra cheap approaches, the ROI should be high if the I was zero. I mean, if you spent the cost nothing- cost should be low, but what yeah. is the
1: business you're losing? And I think that's the yeah. ROI. It's not that, oh, yeah. the return on my, you know- $150 a website versus my $50,000 website, I mean, it should be so dramatically different on what that higher level actually gets you.
0: It is. I mean, bottom line for this and for everything else in life, just set your expectations where you set your budget. You'll only be disappointed if your budget and your expectations are misaligned. So if you, if you spend a hundred bucks on your website and you have no expectation except having a online presence mm-hmm. for your softball team or whatever, like, great. Mm mission accomplished. You should be happy. Right. But don't expect to rank or convert visitors into leads with a site that you literally put you know, next to no effort into.
1: What else? Since we're on a roll here. We all know that we're all going to have orange backgrounds behind our heads shortly. <laughs> what else are well, mistakes people
0: do? Uh, the thank you page is a big mistake. A lot of people's thank you pages say just two words, thank you. Um, they might as well say goodbye because you're giving the visitor, no information and no path to anything. So you're sort of telling them to go look at another website and convert into a lead done another website. Uh, I think the thank you page is a chance to roll out the red carpet and tell the visitor how soon you'll be in or tell not the visitor, your lead, tell the lead, how soon you'll be in touch, mm-hmm. give them links to deeper content, your highest performing, your, your, your most useful stuff. Uh, you could put a scheduling widget there and let them jump onto your calendar immediately. Mm-hmm. You could put a call to action there and let them subscribe to your newsletter or, fo- or follow you on social media. So if that person really does the thing that you wanted them to do, look at their experience. Did you just give them a dead end? The very first thing you did after they took action was give them a dead end, not impressed. Um, so that's a, that's a common mistake. Uh, calls to action are a common mistake. Um, read more, click here, learn more. These are not calls to action. Look at the verbs. Look at the verbs on your website. Ask yourself if use com- compelling verbs. Um, stock photos, often a big mistake. Uh, you, you missed, you know, nothing else, it's a missed opportunity. Uh, failure to address objections, failure to use data. Some people are very moved by data and statistics. Fill your site with data if you can, you know. Um, making lots of pages with thin content instead of a fewer, a shorter set of smaller set of pages with deep content. That's a common and mistake. what is a
1: thin content versus deep content? Like when you say that it makes me think okay if i put in 5000 words that's deep content and if i do fluff and lots of pictures that's not.
0: Right. Well word count is overrated as okay. a as a, a, a as kind of a, a benchmark for quality it's proxy for quality it's not quality you can fluff up content and it's, it sounds very you know watered down because it's long you know just to make it long so deep content would be content that continues the conversation with the visitor, encouraging them to scroll and, con- and go farther into it and, mm-hmm. and get more insights, more advice, more answers, more evidence. Basically the structure of a high-performing page goes like this, answer, evidence, answer, evidence, answer, evidence, call to action. They see what you do, how well you do it, they see how you can do it for them, how well you're doing it for others, call to action. Now, mm-hmm. now I'm ready. Thin content would be, we love us, we're number one, and we do ABC, contact us. It's, it's only a few, it's likely much shorter, probably just mm-hmm. a few hundred words. And it stinks because it, it, it's not differentiated. It's boring. It doesn't, uh, it, it's not clear. It doesn't emulate a sales conversation. The best pages emulate a sales conversation.
1: What about landing pages? I Why think your face just shifted. By the way, for all of our listeners, like I swear, he just had like this weird little twitch. He's like, "Oh, landing pages, the landing pages."
0: <laughs> well, so there's two definitions. Landing page is literally the name of a report in Google Analytics, and it just means the first page the person visited. But what you probably meant, and what most people say uh, mean when they say that, is a, uh, like a campaign landing page, like an unbounce landing page. Yeah. So a landing page in that context is a page that has one very specific traffic source. Such as pay-per-click, or email, or display, and one very, very specific goal: fill out this form, download this guide, something, but something like that. So, as such, the landing page is kind of the opposite of a homepage. The homepage is the page for which you know the least about your visitor. Anybody comes from anywhere. Who knows that you know the homepage has to, give, has to try to serve everybody, but the landing page can align so specifically with what they clicked on. We, a helpful way is to think of it this way what is the true story in the life of the visitor to this page? Keep asking that question. Landing page, what is the true story in the life of the visitor to this page? They just clicked on an ad that, that offered X, Y, and Z. The page needs to talk about that right away, use the same words, be very specific, because you know a lot about this visitor They came from that one click. So the page, So landing pages can be laser focused. They should have few distractions, maybe even no header navigation Lots of landing pages. You build them in a tool like Unbounce. You don't have the main website's header navigation anymore. Mm -hmm. And then unlike, uh, I think they're weak when they just have a contact form at the top, just keep going. Even if most visitors don't scroll, those that do, you can keep giving them more and more reasons to believe. Mm -hmm. So I recommend that landing pages actually uh, uh, use that same tip we gave a second ago about um, deep content. Uh, But they're fun to make because you know so much about the visitor um and you have really just one very specific uh purpose for the page for them and for you
1: yes to get them to pay you with their information
0: that's right the ethical bribe yep the the lead magnet the content upgrade the ethical bribe you know there's names for these things um uh yeah that's uh great for list growth i actually stacy i use none of them i have no okay. gated content in all these years 20 years I've never used any gated content or any any landing pages, but um, I'm meeting my goals without it. So that's working well.
1: So, and the reason why you've done that is you figured that if you just make all free, you don't have to grab people. And ultimately, the people who are coming to you legitimately want to engage.
0: Yes, that. And there's another kind of more subtle and indirect benefit from having everything outside the gates, which is, uh, I need websites to link to us mm-hmm. because I'm playing the SEO game and I'm trying to grow my domain's authority. Mm-hmm. And when enough websites link to you, your site has so much authority that you can rank for very competitive key phrases. I'm trying to dominate my category for phrases like Chicago web design. Mm-hmm. And to do that, I need lots of links from lots of, lots of places. I think if you put your best stuff, like we do a lot of original research, if you put your best stuff behind gates, then you're not as likely to get links from other sites. Mm -hmm. because some of the editors who might link to you decide not to download the thing and get to the Mm -hmm. juicy nugget. That's worth linking to. So, uh, part of our content marketing is about growing our domain authority by having link worthy assets. And for that reason, I keep everything, um, ungated.
1: And obviously it's working well for you.
0: 900 leads a year and we only need 50 projects. So, um, we are, uh, growing at exactly the rate we want to, which, uh, probably will slow down because I don't want to hire full-time HR. Do I have to? Yeah,
1: you're going to have to. I was about to say, you to have to hire, to, hire no, hire, I, I to hire the HR part now. HR, oh man.
0: I'll think about but it.
1: If you have someone who's handling HR, then maybe you aren't. <laughs>
0: I'm definitely not doing that now. Someone else is. Other, other people are. It's probably eating away time from, you probably from, from, from the managers. You have
1: full-time HR already built in with you and you just have people who are working on doing little bits here and not working on those you know, 52, 53, 54, 55 account numbers of your 50 that you need to have um, to get you close to that 900.
0: You know, you're giving me a great idea. I wonder if the lack of HR as a function here is making our managers less efficient because they have to deal with it all themselves.
1: We actually found that. That's why we ended up diving in. Now we went and got someone to head and lead and do all things HR. Namely, because my husband and I both don't want to. He's the CEO, I'm the CEO, and it's nice having that um, layer before you, and more so just the busy work and working on building the company versus yeah, whose sick day is what, when, what do they need to do now? Right. But yeah, but we hired someone who has a dual purpose, where they're HR, but they're also um, sales on certain things that they have a specialty, uh, like focus. Okay. In. So I don't feel like, oh, we're spending all this money on just HR. I feel mm-hmm. like, oh, but we're investing in like this person who happens to have this other skill set that's going to be golden and help us. We do that with our accounting department too.
0: That is often combined with HR, the controller yeah. role. Yeah. I've, I've, I think that's, that's not uncommon is to find the, um, the HR accounting combo. Yeah. Uh, all these things are totally outside my comfort zone. Um,
1: so much fun though, as being a business owner, they're all things (laughs) that you get to do. So for all of you guys listening who are not business owners, this is what you are missing out on.
0: It's your big chance to start a company and do some HR.
1: And HR is one of the first things you're going to have to do. And it's one of the first things as you grow that you want to hand off, even if you don't hire someone for HR, you know, just like Andy just said, my managers are doing those tasks.
0: Yeah. Someone's got to take care of the team. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They're still the most important. Mm-hmm. Well, Annie, it's been fantastic talking to you. How can our listeners find you? Because I know it's not gated and I know you have an online presence.
0: <laughs> Orbitmedia.com. I write one article every two weeks. If you were to subscribe, you'll get my best advice there. Literally just one email every two weeks. Uh, LinkedIn's my best social network. I kind of poked on fun at Facebook, so you can probably tell I'm not much of a Facebook person. Uh, and the book has almost everything it's, it's uh, called content chemistry and you can find it on Amazon or find it anywhere.
1: And with the book, it's going to dive into all things that you should, should not be doing and how to be doing it better.
0: Everything I know between two covers for the price of a small bar tap. Well worth Look it.
1: At that. That's pretty good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or a very expensive cup of coffee.
0: <laughs> 20, yeah. You've got a coffee problem if you're spending that much <laughs> on, a, on a coffee.
1: Um, Annie, any last words of advice to our listeners today and all things website?
0: Well, uh, and on the topic of mistakes, I'd encourage people to make mistakes. I mean, take chances, experiment. Uh, every, every idea you have is in fact, just a hypothesis. Try it, test it. Every best practice that we just talked about is really just a hypothesis. Go try it for yourself and see if it worked. It won't necessarily work for everybody. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's a, it's a, these are all testable. It's it's a big game and analytics is the scoreboard. Play and uh, keep tweaking your game and you'll win.
1: And the good news is people like Andy are going to stay in business forever because we have Google making algorithm shifts all the time that you have to stay on your toes about because what you do today that works might not work tomorrow. Might not. Yeah. Well, Andy, thank
0: you again so much for joining. This was lovely. Thank you, Stacey, for the opportunity. I had a great time.
1: Awesome. And then to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I look forward to chatting with you this next week. And until then, if you ever have any interest, needs, curiosity about all things, product placement, integration, influencer marketing, that's what we do here. And I'd be happy to chat with you or I connect you with our team. Have a great one.